open to the Gospel of Matthew, looking at what we call the greatest commandments. This is Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. Now, as you're finding your way there, let me give you an update about our preaching series. Let me talk about first where we've been, secondly, where we're going, and then finally, where we are today. In the last two years, uh, the Lord has provided me to be here at Redeemer. Here's what we've done in our sermon series. In the last two years, we've looked at every verse of Philippians, every verse of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. We had about a 16-week study on the book of Proverbs, about a 14-week study on the Psalms. This past winter and spring, we had an eight-week study on prayer, specifically the Lord's Prayer. And as you've probably noticed, the last few weeks have been more topical sermons. We did a stewardship sermon and then the sacraments, looking at the Lord's Supper and baptism. That's where we've been. Well, where are we going? This summer, we're going to look at the Gospel of John and do a series on the I Ams in John. Have you heard of the I Ams? In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am seven times. For instance, I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So seven different sermons on the I am's of Jesus. And we're looking to answer the question, who is Jesus? Well, the best way to get that answer is to have Jesus himself answer that question. And he does. He tells us exactly who he is in the seven I am's. After we get finished with that, in probably August, we'll start a series on the book of James. We're going to cover every single verse of the book of James. So that's going to take us through the winter, probably into the new year in 2020. So that's where we're going. Okay, so where are we today? Well, today and over the next couple few weeks, Daryl Hunter and I will be doing a few topical sermons that we pray will help all of us understand our ministry plan for Redeemer and will also prepare us to go into the new building. So with that in mind, I want you to know that today's sermon is on what I call Redeemer's Ministry Plan. This is a two-part series. I'll preach the first part today and finish this in two weeks. Next week, Daryl's going to do a sermon on discipleship, so I'll finish the ministry plan in two weeks. But today we look at what I call the first part of Redeemer's ministry plan. If you have your bulletin and you look on the very back, it's going to be a guide um, to our sermon today. But with all that in mind, if you're able, please stand and honor the reading of God's holy word. This is Matthew 22, starting in verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Pray with me. God, we thank you for your word. As we enter into the time of preaching, it bless this time. Remove every distraction. 
Lord, fill me with your spirit that I might preach in a manner that is pleasing unto thee. Open our ears and our hearts to receive your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Please be seated. Almost three years ago, in June 2016, I attended the PCA's General Assembly. And if you're unfamiliar with our church government, the PCA, our denomination, has an annual meeting once a year in the month of June. And all the pastors and elders from those churches are invited to come to that meeting. And it's, it's a week long of, we, we hear the Word of God preached, we have training seminars, we have business meetings and that's once a week each year. Well, in 2016, the meeting was in Mobile, Alabama, and I had the opportunity to go to Mobile. I will say that I took my family with me, and they ran to Gulf Shores every day while I went to the meeting. That wasn't very fair, but it was a good time, a good week for our family. Well, in that meeting in 2016, I attended a training seminar by Pastor Randy Pope. Do you all know who that is? Randy Pope, he's the lead pastor at Perimeter PCA in Atlanta, Georgia. In fact, I got to hear Pastor Randy speak a couple weeks ago here at RTS Charlotte. But three years ago in that seminar, he asked us as pastors and as elders who were there that day, he asked, what is the ministry plan for your church? And many of the pastors in the room, including myself, kind of shrunk back in the chair and said, I don't know. I I don't know what my ministry plan is. We We were kind of puzzled. He says, listen, as pastors and elders, you need to be able to put down on paper what your ministry plan is. We said, okay, that, that sounds great. Pastor Randy, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? How do we do that? And Randy said, look, in order to form a ministry plan for your church, you simply need to answer five questions. And he said, basically, you can take these five questions and you could answer them and come up with a plan for anything. But for the church, I challenge you as pastors and elders to take these five questions, answer them, and have a ministry plan for your church. The first question has to do with purpose. And the question is, why do you exist? The second one is that of vision, which is, what do we want to do? The third is a question of mission, which is, How do we want to do it? The fourth question is that of values, which asks, what's most important to you? And the last, the final question is that of goals, which is, how do we know we've accomplished our vision and our mission? And sitting under Pastor Randy, I began to learn how to write a ministry plan. But one of the main things that I learned and what we need to learn is this is that answering the five questions of a ministry plan means that we must start with the basis of Scripture for that ministry plan. In other words, we shouldn't make a plan and then input the Scripture. We should rather let the Scriptures inform us to what the plan should be. We don't want to impose our will upon God. Rather, we want to let God impose his will on us and show us from the word of God, why do we exist? What should we be doing? How should we be doing it? 
Beloved, all that to say, I want you to know back in December and through this month of February of 2019, the elders, the deacons here at Redeemer considered and agreed upon a ministry plan, a plan that's based on answering these five questions. So the plan I am preaching to you today, and I want you to know that it is a plan that is rooted in the scriptures. In fact, we're going to have a lot of scriptures on the screen today. As we were preparing uh, for worship today, um, I think Michael asked Joel, did you get all the slides that, that, that Adam sent you? I can't even count how many slides there were. Well, there's 10. There's 10. We're going to look at 10 different scriptures that support and teach us how to have a ministry plan here at Church of the Redeemer. Now, I want you to know, I planned to preach the whole thing in one sermon, but as I got through, as I started working on that this week, I found that's way too much. You don't want to be here that long for me to preach it in one sermon. So that's why I divided it into two parts. Part one today, part two in two weeks. So let's look today at the first three points of our ministry plan for Church of the Redeemer. The first one is the question of purpose. In other words, why do we exist? Now, as we go through this, I want you to kind of imagine you're in an airplane and you're cruising at 30,000 feet because we're going to start seeing things from very high up, very broadly. And as we go through this plan, it's going to drop from 30,000 to 20,000 to 10,000 and get more specific to where we're running on the ground. But when we talk about purpose, what we're talking about is what is our 30,000 foot view of the church? of our plan at Redeemer. We're asking this question, why do we exist? On your bulletin, you'll see the answer. Church of the Redeemer exists to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. As I say those words, many of you know where that comes from. It's the answer to the first catechism question. The catechism asks, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Well, by chief end, what do we mean? We mean that which we're aiming at, that which is our goal, that which we're seeking after, which we endeavor to obtain. Our first slide, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, teaches us to glorify God. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Friends, this is the answer to the question. The glory of God is why we exist. Well, what does it mean to glorify God? Friends, when the design of our lives is there to seek, to honor, and praise, and obey God, we are glorifying him. Revelation chapter 14, verse 7 says this, Fear God and give him glory, and worship him who made heaven and earth. Let me say that I think we can glorify God in two main ways. If you're thinking about your personal life, how can you in your life glorify God? Think about it this way. We can do it inwardly. We can do it outwardly. How can you glorify God inwardly? How can we do that? Well, we can trust him. We can love him. We can praise him and fear him. We can worship him, have confidence in him. We can glorify him inwardly when our hearts meditate on his word. 
Where when, when we're completely dedicated to him, how about outwardly? We glorify God when we obey him, when we're faithful to him, even in the little things, when our lips praise him, when our bodies serve him, when we point other people to him. Think with me through all the biblical examples that God has given us of men and women throughout the scriptures who do these things. Abraham trusted God. Peter loved Jesus. The early church praised him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they feared him. Mary Magdalene fell at his feet and worshipped him. David had so much confidence in him. Paul meditated on his word. The Corinthians gave him their hearts first. Daniel obeyed God. Stephen's lips praised God. Phoebe served God. The disciples pointed other people to God. And in doing this, beloved, they glorified God. They knew why they existed. It was to give him glory inwardly and outwardly. But we also want to enjoy God forever. What does that mean? That's an interesting phrase, to enjoy him forever. I would define it this way. It means to rest in him and his promises. For our soul to be settled in his grace and not tossed about by the world. Is your soul settled? Or do you continually get tossed about? Psalm 46 teaches us that God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. God doesn't want us to be tossed about. Rather, he wants us to taste his goodness. Psalm 34, verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He wants us to just relish in his love. Why do we glorify God, though? Why do we enjoy him forever? Have you ever thought about that? One final verse here on this topic. This is Colossians 1.16. All things were created through him and for him. Look at those last two words, for him. Why were you created? Why was I created? For God. We were created for God to glorify him, to enjoy him forever. Friends, that is our purpose. That is the reason we exist. But secondly today, let's drop down from 30,000 feet to 20,000 feet. It's a little bit closer to the ground, but we're still pretty far up. We've answered the question, why do we exist? Let's answer the next question, the question of vision. What do we want to do? In other words, what does the Bible teach us as the church to do? The answer, at Church of the Redeemer, we want to proclaim the gospel by teaching people to love God, to love our neighbor, and to be discipled. The text today for that is the text we started with from Matthew 22. They came up to Jesus. What is the greatest commandment? Jesus takes the opportunity to teach them, to teach you and me the answer to that question. What is the thing that we need to do above all things? He tells us, love the Lord your God with your heart, with your soul, with your mind, and then love your neighbor 
as yourself. On these two things rest the whole law and the prophets. Love God. Love your neighbor. Beloved, this is what I call looking up and looking out. By looking up, God teaches us to first have that vertical relationship that we need to love him first before we do anything else. First of all, that's a call to evangelism. That's a call to hear the gospel of Christ, to know what Jesus has done for us, because we can't love God until we know God. Hear me on this. It is impossible to love God unless you know God, and you can't know God unless you know Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, the Savior that he sent into this world. So one of the first things that we're called to do, and when we teach people to love God, the first thing is you've got to know God. You've got to repent of your sin, embrace Jesus Christ by grace through faith, know him. And then we've got to know his word. Because in order to love him, we need to know who he is. And the only way we find out who he is is through his word. He teaches us who he is so that we can know him. We pray to him. We, we, we open up ourselves to him so that we can properly love him. That is the first thing we want to do. And this love, Jesus says, involves the whole person. The heart, the soul, the mind, everything about us is engaged with loving God, looking up. But after Jesus teaches us to look up and to love God with all our heart, he teaches us to look outside of ourselves, doesn't he? This is what you need to do. Not only do you need to love me, but love drives you now to love your neighbor as yourself. Because it's not all about you. The finger doesn't point this way. It points out. God says to us, just as I have loved you, you go out and love one another. In fact, the slide for this, we have John 13, 34, and 35. Listen to what Jesus says about the, the mark of discipleship of those who really love God, the mark of discipleship. This is in their lives. A new commandment I give you, that you what? Love one another. Just as I have loved you, that vertical relationship, right? God has loved us. You go, are also to love one another. So by that, you see the vertical drives the horizontal. But listen to this. By this, in other words, this is the mark of discipleship. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. What's our vision? What do we want to do? We want to teach people to love God through Jesus Christ and let the love of Christ impact your hearts that drives us out to love our neighbor even as ourselves. This, Jesus says, is the mark of discipleship. And you can see this is a call to missions. This is a call to mercy. This is a call to care, to go out into this world. But then there's a third aspect. On your notes, you'll see that it's being discipled. This is what I call looking in. 
The Bible says, look up and love God. Look out, love your neighbor. But thirdly, the, the third thing we want to do is look in. We'll put a quote up from 1 Timothy 4. It's the verse Lad read a moment ago. It's a call to discipleship. Train yourself for godliness. You remember the context of the verse that training for the body is useful in some things, but it's not like training for godliness. I love sports. Y'all know that by now. My kids love sports. But I remind my kids, you know, if you go out and you train for a sport, that's of some value. If you get good at at tennis or soccer or, or volleyball or football, whatever it might be, that's of some value. But it's nothing compared to training for godliness. This should be way above any type of athletic training that we we impose even upon our children. Training for godliness is what God calls us to. So we are to look up and love and look out and love others, but we're to look in, knowing that we're to be trained as a disciple for godliness. Tim, or Paul calls this training in 2 Timothy, training in righteousness. And that comes from knowing the word of God. So this is our vision. This is the top three things that we want to do. So third and finally, what's our mission? Back up a second. 30,000 feet, here's our purpose. Here's why we exist. To glorify God, to enjoy forever. 20,000 feet, what do we want to do? Our vision, love God, love your neighbor, be discipled. Let's drop down to 10,000 feet. How do we want to do it? If you've been at Redeemer for some time, you know the answer to this question. This is what we call our four G's. Lad repeated them a couple times this morning. Gathering, grounding, growing, and going. Briefly, let's look at those four. First of all, gathering with those in our community. Let me start with this question. If you're here today and you're married, do you remember making out the invitation list for your wedding? That list probably included family, close friends, loved ones, that type of thing. But my question to you is, did it ever cross your mind to maybe just run out into the street in your hometown and just start inviting anybody and everybody to your wedding? Did that cross your mind? It didn't cross my mind. And maybe if it crossed your mind and you did something like that, you might hear from the father of the bride who might be paying for the reception for all those people, right? Might not be a good idea in his eyes. Well, I mentioned that because the Bible says that our heavenly father is hosting a wedding feast. And that wedding feast is for his son, Jesus Christ. Let's put the slide up. This is Matthew 22. Look at the words in red. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads, and what they do? Gathered all whom they found, both good and bad, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. Leave this verse up for a second, Joel, because we're going to talk about this one. Do you see two of the four G's in that verse? 
Oftentimes we start with gathering, but this verse starts with going and then leads to gathering. So let's go that way. Let's start that way. The church, we have been given a command by our God, a direct command to go into the streets of this world and deliver a divine invitation of the gospel to all groups of people to come and gather at the wedding feast. And what is amazing about this invitation, it's different than our wedding invitation. Do you know why? Because this invitation has no boundaries. It has no boundaries of friends or family. It has no boundaries of race or social status. No boundaries of countries or continents. This divine wedding invitation is proclaimed to the whole world. Come and gather. Gather at the wedding feast of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right now, I want you to think about who was the person in your life who came to you, who went to you, and invited you, encouraged you to gather with Christ. Think about how God worked in your heart to gather even today with the people of God. Look around you. This is a gathering of the church on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day. And indeed, we have gathered to worship. We have gathered to live out the first part of our vision, to look up, yes, and to love God with all our heart, our strength, our mind. Going leads to gathering. But after we've gathered, the second thing is grounding. We need to be grounded in the gospel. We have a slide from Psalm 1 we'll put up. Psalm 1, the psalmist talks about the blessed man who dwells on the word of God, who meditates on it day and night. And the psalmist describes this man this way. He's like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. This tree that the psalmist is talking about, the roots go way down into the ground. It is firmly grounded. This tree is vital. It's nourished. It's strong. It's productive because it's firmly grounded. Okay, another example. And I think this is just a guy thing, maybe. Any guy here ever go into the woods like I did growing up and just grab a tree and just start pulling on it to see if you could tear it down? I used to do that kind of stuff. I used to say, oh, how strong am I? I bet I could grab this tree and pull it out of the ground and tear it down. Well, I remember going to what I considered a small tree. And I thought to myself, I'm big enough, I'm strong enough, I'm going to just hug this tree, and I'm going to rock it from side to side, and I'm going to pull it out of the ground. Well, I grabbed onto this small tree, and I was pretty good size and pretty strong at the time, and I remember started rocking it to the left and right, forward and backward. I couldn't move it. I could not move this strong tree. Do you know why? Because it was deeply rooted. It was grounded. And no matter what I did, I could not shake that tree. Beloved, that's a picture of what we want to do here at Redeemer. We want for believers to be grounded in their faith. Even these small tree believers to be grounded in their faith. Beloved, how do we get grounded in our faith? Here's how. 
At Redeemer, we want you to hear the sermons on Sunday, be grounded in the Word. As Michael uh, and Andy mentioned a moment ago, Sunday school. We're going to start Sunday. We know we're taking a break for the summer, but we're going to start Sunday school on August the 18th. Come, be grounded in your faith. Be in a life group where you have connection with other people who want to be grounded in the Word. Be involved in a Bible study, whether with our men or our women. If you're a teenager here today, come to youth group and be grounded in the Word at youth. Go on the retreats. Go on our men's and our women's retreats, ladies and gentlemen, to be grounded in the Word. We want to encourage you to have home devotions, both personal and with your family. This is how you're grounded. So we go out into the streets to gather. We take those who are gathered to be grounded in the Word. Thirdly, we pray that these people might grow, might grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Slide number nine. This is 2 Peter 3.18. This third G, grow. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A few days ago in my family, I was gathered with some of my kids. We were looking at uh, some old pictures uh, from five, six years ago. And I can remember seeing a picture of Jack pop up, you know, when he was about two years old. Uh, my, my two-year-old Jack, and I'm, I was thinking back to what he looked like then, to what he sounded like then, compared to what he looks like and sounds like now. You know, he's a lot bigger, he's a lot stronger, talks a lot clearer, he eats different things. You know, remember as, as an infant, we think about our infants, they drink milk and um, eat really small cut-up food, yet five years later, they're eating big burgers and hot dogs. My kids want so much food, they can hardly provide all of it for them. Why? They're growing, Right? They're growing. Are they supposed to grow? Yes. Is it a good thing to grow? Yes. Does your diet change? Yes, it should. The Bible says it should be the same for Christians. Christian life is a life of growth. Peter got on the Corinthians. He told the Corinthians, he said, at one point you were drinking the milk of the word, like you're feeding an infant milk. He said, but now you should be eating the meat of the word. You should have grown to eat the meat. But guess what? You're still over here drinking Similac and Infamil. Okay? There, there, there's a little baby food in the pantry still. Get that out of your house. It's time to start growing in your faith. Believers, where are we? On that growth cycle, are we growing in knowledge, in grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Where are we today compared to five years ago? Have we grown? Beloved, we desire to see growth and grace in the Christian life. What's the food we need for our souls? We need the Word of God, we need prayer. We need the sacraments as we come to the Lord's table. We need teachers to teach us. We hope to provide that here at Redeemer. The nutrients that you need, the, the church being around the fellowship of believers, men as iron sharpens iron, so will one man sharpen the other. We're not meant to live this life alone. We need the community, the body of Christ. So that leads us to our final point. Going. Final slide. Matthew 28. You know this, the Great Commission. 
Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. As Christians who have gathered, who are being grounded, who are growing, it's now time to go into the world. We're to go to be salt and light. We're to go and not be ashamed of the gospel. We're to go being missions-minded and merciful. And if you'll notice with me, we're back to where we started. For on that wedding invitation, the first thing they were called to do is what? Go into the street. It's circular. The going pushes the gathering. The gathering pushes the grounding. The grounding pushes the growing. The growing pushes the going. This is our mission. This is how we want to do it. In conclusion today, friends, we've looked at three things. The why, the what, and the how. The why. Why do we exist? We exist to glorify God, to enjoy him forever. Well, what do we want to do? We want to look up and love God. We want to look out, love our neighbor. We want to look in and be discipled. Well, how do we want to do it? We want to gather and ground and grow and go. Questions for us to answer relating these three things. Number one, first of all, does your life glorify God inwardly, outwardly? Do our lives constantly seek to look up, to look out, and to look in, to love God, to love our neighbor, to love ourselves? And do we hear God's call to go into the street, to gather at the wedding feast of the Son of God, to be grounded in his word, to grow in his grace so that we can keep going for the sake of Jesus Christ? Friends, this is the purpose, the vision, the mission of Church of the Redeemer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you.